challenges remaining i am ben rothenberg joined as always by my co-host courtney Nguyen. hi courtney hi ben how are you i'm very well and yourself i'm doing well how are you i mean really because it is <laughs> 2 30 it's 2 36 a.m on tuesday march 13th when we're recording this which is about day i don't know i can't count six of the tournament seven coming up Something like that. He's, he's just yelling out numbers at this point. Pretty much. We're going to do that later in the show. Actually, yes, pick a that number is true. out of somewhere. And maybe we get a single digit number. That'd be a cool change. But we, this is episode 4A because last week we recorded a show pre tournament Indian Wells preview, and the, the files, the audio didn't work very well. And we've been busy, and so it didn't get up. And so we're. It, it ain't easy covering a tournament, let me tell you that right now. It's a lot of hard work. It may look and sound like we're not doing anything, but we kind of are working a fair amount. So we'll do our best to uh, catch you up on everything. Hence the 2.30 a.m. on Hence a Tuesday morning. This is dedication, people. You think that, you know... We do this for you, 100 followers. Yes. <laughs> Look at us acknowledging our follower accounts like we like we're, like we are people we hate. It's so true. It's, it's come to this, though, Ben, we're because it's 2.30 in the morning and we're a little punchy and not really thinking clearly, which is what happens to other people. On a daily basis, 24 hours a day. This is like us at our worst, is what I'm saying. That's true. But yeah, are you saying that us at our worst is still better than everybody else? I'm not saying that, but if you want to say it, that's fine. I'm not saying it either, but if you want to say it, that's fine too. If people out there want to say it, that's cool too. Yes. (laughs) I don't know where we're going with that. No, we're rambling. We are are currently staying um, in Indian Wells, California, which is the home of the tournament Indian Wells, coincidentally. And called the called the BNP Paribas Open, Thank also you. known Cha-ching. now as the BNP Parasite Open, also known as Indie Unwells. Uh-huh. Hey, hey, <laughs> Ben, are you sick yet? No, are you sick yet, Courtney? A little bit. Really? No, I haven't been feeling well, but it has nothing to do with anything. I've been, I've been like having so many false symptoms. Like I feel anything in my stomach. Like, oh crap, here it comes. It's very psychosomatic at this but point. It like, doesn't happen. Today. Yeah, but but to be fair, I mean for. Because I've seen some tweets that have kind of been belittling the situation that's in Indie Wells. And it's not like we're in a movie, like, it's not like Contagion or Outbreak. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there are, you know, what is it up now, nine or ten that have withdrawn? But I think nine players have withdrawn. Nine players. A couple other players have acknowledged symptoms and stayed in. Including Bethany Maddox-Sands, including one Mr. Roger Federer, who we all thought was the bubble boy who could Although never he, be sick. I think he might have gotten something different. That might be true. That might Yarko be true. Yarko Neiman was the other one who ha- seems to have these symptoms and still played doubles. Fair. And then it's also hit the uh, the press room as well. We have one journalist who actually went to the hospital. Yeah. Um, due to complications from the from the the stomach bug that has been flying around Indian Wells. That actually the the local kind of county uh, uh, health department actually put a, a kind of APP on APB on a mm-hmm. little bit. Um, to alert everyone, but uh, but so far we are fighting through it. We are sh- we are made of strong stuff. Well, mainly because I'm showering in Purell, but you know whatever you want to do, Ben, that's cool by you as well. Yeah, yeah. Not should, judge. Everyone should just be glad that I'm showering at this point. As one <laughs> who is your current roommate, I would agree. Anyway, we are all staying very healthy and happy here so far as our numbers dwindle, and just like the numbers are dwindling in the draws because. It's how eliminations go. Segway. 
Let's talk about the men's straw first, Courtney. I love because... that you feel the need to call out your segues. It's adorable. I just want to let people know what's happening. Maybe we can get a segue sound effect later. But it's the worst possible it should, sound effect. It you should can have. literally be the sound of my bottle of, or my can of beer opening. That, that could be. We just missed that barely on the show. Yeah, right, once you get the can number four, mm-hmm. you'll cut on. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's start with the men. Sure. I got it. Oh, she has her own copy oh, of my straw as I try to hand her mine. Um, top half. What's what do you want to just talk about? Um, well, yeah, I guess top half. Go ahead. Right. Top half played today. Um, yesterday, Monday, and not much has happened. The top half, uh, to really? The, 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 oh, right. I'm looking at the left. Really? Half, but on the on the really, look, Corey, I didn't see this match. Tell me what happened. Um, so basically, Ben is being a bit of a jerk and kind of ignoring that one of my beloved players, who I I genuinely want him to win things. Let's just put it that way. I'm not going to go out there and say I'm a fan. I'm not going to go out that far because of legal reasons. Uh, but but yes, Andy Murray uh, has gone out of the tournament after having a, a relatively strong uh, Dubai swing in which he got to, he beat Novak Djokovic and then got to the finals against uh, Federer. Goes out in the second round, which was his first match, to Guillermo Garcia Lopez, who went out tonight to Ryan Harrison. Yep. Um, and basically, do you want my take on the match? Go for it. I didn't see it. Go for it. All you. Guillermo played really well, and Andy played horribly. That sounds pretty that's pretty much what it was and i think that you know ben and i were both in, in andy's post-match press conference i think he was I about his oh you weren't okay cool. slacker um excuse me i was out on court too giving the people what they want which is hard hitting marion bartoli coverage okay let's not call me a slack when i'm out there freezing my tickets off for marion bartoli with 30 of my closest friends in the stands anyway how was andy murray's presser according I was hoping to just leave a bit of awkward silence there to uh, reflect the weird side eye that I'm giving to Ben right now. But um, yeah, no, the Andy Murray, Murray press conference. He was he was quite shocked by the loss. He was he was uh, he, he didn't know what happened. Very similar to the the rest of us. Um, and you know, on one level, you just kind of know you know crap happens, and then sometimes you show up and somebody's playing really well and and you don't play well, I, I think that what was the most interesting thing for me coming out of the Murray press conference was his acknowledgement. I mean, he's been much more inclined to kind of talk about his post-Australian Open slump from last year. Um, and he said that that um, after that loss to Djokovic in the final of the 2010, or I'm sorry, 2011 uh, Australian Open final, he felt like the gap between him and the top three was wider than ever. That that he felt essentially that that he felt so far behind from those three, and really, really questioned whether or not um, he could close it, whether or not he would be able to get that slam, which was you know quite candid and, and quite frank. Um, and he was using that to basically contrast to how he feels now, which is that he was practicing really well. He felt really good coming out of the Aussie. So so he was genuinely shocked. He, he said that last year he he wasn't a surprise. Uh, losing here to Donald Young, whereas here he was he was a bit shocked losing to Garcia Lopez. I mean, I think that he wasn't executing the same game plan that he was using in the Australian Open, being particularly offensive. I think that he thought maybe that that if he played his B game, which was kind of his typical Andy Murray game, that he'd be able to survive that match, and, and that never really happened, and he couldn't. And nine times out of ten, he could against Garcia Lopez. I agree with that, absolutely. And so he couldn't kind of get his game into the next gear to kind of take down a guy who's playing quite well. 
But that opens up a lot of questions about Andy Murray, about whether or not, you know, these matches these matches happen to him more than more often than they happen to anybody, uh, the other three. The other three, but then again, not that much. This was his first loss in 2012 to someone outside the top three. That is true. So, and actually the top four altogether, I just wrote about this. Murray, I don't think, I don't think you would take from this loss that it's time to sell Andy Murray's stock. Not at all. No. Not at all. I mean, shock losses happen. What are you going to do? You know, so. These things happen, and it's, it's not... It's not a tournament. Honestly, if he'd won this tournament, it would have been nice for him, but it still leaves the big slam questions unanswered. And so him losing early here, I don't think changes much. Well, don't you? Yeah, exactly right. I mean, don't you think that that's quite interesting with, with Andy that, that, I mean, I don't know if this is your sense, but it's definitely my sense, which is it doesn't really matter what happens to him outside of a slam. Agreed. He could run the table and win every ma- he, he can't prove anything outside of a slam. Right. He, yeah. he could run the table and win every Masters tournament. And so long as he's not winning a Grand Slam tournament, he's still... The narrative stays the same. The narrative stays the same, vice versa. He could go out in the first or second round of every tournament, and if he would just win one Slam, his entire, like, the story about Andy Murray and how he's written about in, in the tennis annals it completely changes. So he loses at Indian Wells, whatever. Player on that, also in the top half of the draw in Murray's quarter, who I think there are more legitimate concerns about. At the bottom of that quarter is Marty Fish. Who went down today, six three six four to young scrapper Matthew Ebden, who is kind of oddly beloved. I don't know if you know this with by the tournament volunteers. Yes, yes. There's this there's this woman named no, uh, named I wouldn't uh, name her named name. Schmollenteer, who who write who works for them, and she was talking about how much she says, "Well, I'm a grandma," or a very Matthew young Ebden. buck. Oh yes, <laughs> or or you know someone who's barely 13, but she just loves Matthew Evans, and she thinks he's adorable, and they were very happy to see him. It was a popular win for them, and Matthew, I, I was at Evans. Were you at Evans Press today? I was not. I was at the Fish match, so I was not at Evans, Evans Presser. But. Even though that Presser was after the match. Well, do you know what was after the Marty Fish match? The Anna Bonovich match. We'll so get do you know where later. I was? You were at the Anna Bonovich match. Thank you very much. But we will get to that later when we get to the ladies. But Matthew Evans was, you know, he is sort of a... Self-assured and assume, which is not surprising, given that he just beat a top ten player. Well, and he also had a very strong run in Sydney uh, earlier this year. Um, I want to say he made the semifinals, but it might have been the quarterfinals. But okay. but he he played very really really he well made there. Made the semis of Shanghai last fall. Really, I think so. Then I could be totally wrong. I, I, I okay. I think he did that. He did well in Shanghai. It might have been quarters, but he at least made the quarters in Shanghai. And uh, but he's a solid player. He's a little undersized. Um, he's not a big guy. He, if you don't look, pay attention, uh, he almost looks like like Leighton because he wears his cap backwards, yep. and you know he's in Fila gear, so that is a bit of a differentiator. But really, really quick, really caused Marty a few problems. But the reality of it is that that you know I tweeted this earlier today. I just think Marty's game is just stuck in third gear. I mean, it's not even in fourth gear. It's just um, you know. I thought I, third gear was generous. Fair. I mean, I you know I think that that there's. Watching that match, if you didn't know anything about either of these players, you wouldn't know that Marty was who he is and, and was playing as well as he had last year. There just was a bit of a, um, a lack of surety with what he was, yeah, yeah assuredness uh, as to what he was doing out there, lack of conviction, and you know, and that that really I think boils down to confidence. But but I also was not in the Fish press conference, which I understand to have been. Quite a come to Jesus. So yes, I'll let was, I'll let Ben he, I mean, chime in. Marty, I don't have the transcript in front of me. Marty was very. I mean, he's had a a bad point. Well, well he's sub five hundred. He's at five point. and six if you count Hopman Cup, which he probably wouldn't say you should, but I do. 
And so without even without it, he's four and four. It's not much better. Mm-hmm. He just hasn't been winning a lot of matches. He's been losing to people who he shouldn't be losing to by most no top, who top teners in this day and age, where the game is so top heavy. Top teners don't lose to the players who Marty Fish is losing to. And luckily for him, sort of double edged sword. He hasn't had almost any points to defend at this part of the season, but that's going to change Miami a little bit, and then really a lot by this July runs around. Yeah. So I mean he. It's a lot of time to turn around the ship, but there's just not a lot of, there's no, there, I don't know why, talking about not selling Andy Murray stock, I wouldn't be buying Marty Fish stock right now. No, but I, I'm I not entirely see. sure that you would be buying Marty Fish even before the year. That's fair. Right, he, I mean, yeah, I think he that, didn't, he didn't end 2011 well. Right, and, that, and I think that there are still, to be fair, I mean, I think that, that, that Marty's in so much to like kind of revamp his game and, you know, the matches that he was winning last year were great, but... Um, I think there are still obviously question marks about him, about whether or not last year, the last year and a half really, were a fluke. Yeah. Uh, not a fluke that they came out of nowhere, because he clearly has the talent when he's playing well, but sure. whether it was sustainable. And yeah. and so I think that at the beginning of this year, beginning of 2012, I'm not entirely sure that, that he's a stock that you buy. But and he's um, getting older. I mean, he is older than he was last year, and he's older than he was the year before that, too. So Thank you for explaining the space-time continuum, This is actually some, what we call 3 a.m. math right here. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but the, the exciting thing in that section, as far as most people are concerned right now, is John Isner. Is, is the highest seed left in that, in that quarter of the draw has a chance to make his first Master Series semifinal. Can I just say something? Please do. Can I brag a little bit? Yeah. So I, I, I was going through the comments on Beyond the Baseline today, which I do sporadically, but mm-hmm. I do read them. Um, and the last comment on my tournament preview post was somebody who ripped me, absolutely ripped me, for saying that Isner would make the semifinals above, which is who I picked. I picked Isner in the semifinals with Novak beating him, but said, oh, your picks are absolute nonsense, and you can't believe that you picked Isner over Murray. So, yeah. But this is pretty High much... Five. I mean, High five. Thank you. But this... ill Okay. But what? There's, nothing there's a virus going around. Okay, that was such short contact of our hands, and both of us are we healthy. We do not understand science. So I'm not talking to you right now. But, <sighs> but, I mean, think the biggest thing is that, you know, at least if I could explain my rationale briefly. Well, go for it. Was that, I didn't necessarily think that Andy Murray was going to lose this early, but I did think that he was going to lose before the semis to somebody in that section. Um, and then with Isner, I just didn't think that Fish was going to get through. There was nothing to tell us that he would. And uh, John has been playing well. He just has been coming up across really, you know, hot players. He hasn't been playing, you know, his best. But he's been coming across players who have done really, really well in previous tournaments. So um, that was my rationale for why I slogged him in the semis. But he, it's completely wide open for him to get there now. We, are, would be, we are one match away from a Isner-Harrison quarterfinal at this tournament. That is true. Which would be, that would be very exciting for the USDA to say the least. Yeah. So... American tennis doing quite well. Otherwise, in the top half, Andy Roddick lost. Um, I think we didn't talk much about that. It wasn't very surprising. It wasn't surprising, and that it may be an issue in another. He lives up to his seed. He's the number thirty seed at this point. Yeah. So him losing to number seven, I think taking a set, he has to be reasonably happy with that. Moving along, bottom half of the draw, um, which is not filled out at all on my copy. Let's see what's been happening here. No, it's been pretty straightforward. We got now, Potra for- rolling along mm-hmm. as is Ferrer. Actually, they play. Yeah, they're set up. If they both win tomorrow, they'll play. Monfils went out with the virus. Federer Ronich is the big thing tonight. Federer Ronich is the big is the big match, and that will be uh, that should be pretty cool. So, what are your thoughts on that, Ben? 
What are my thoughts on that? I, I think Federer will win. I think. I was really not impressed by Milos in Australia against Leighton Hewitt on this really big stage. And not that anyone else is as big a stage as Australia, but against big stage against a sort of legend-type player, I don't think he brought it very well. But it's then, one thing to go out and win San Jose against a whole, a whole lot of nobody, beating Dennis Isman in the final, is that correct? Yep. So, yep. we'll see. I, I'm ready. Wow, wow me, Milos. Wow me. Wow him. Um, I think that, you know, obviously there's been a bit of a talk uh, about Roger not being 100% mm-hmm. uh, physically. I think that if that is real, which I don't know. I mean, when Roger said, I mean, given Roger's history of being effectively, aside from his like bout with mono, yeah. like Roger Federer is the bubble boy. He doesn't get hurt. He doesn't get sick. His hair doesn't move out of place. I mean, he's the man, right? Yeah. You can take whatever you want from my tone. But, um, but I think that, that, you know, if, to the extent that he is, um, struggling a little bit with his health, I think it's a prime opportunity for Milos to kind of finally prove that, 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 you know, even if it's racking a big win, I mean, it's still dealing with the, the, um, kind of psychological aspect of, of playing a big player and, and closing a, a, that type of match out. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I obviously pick Federer as well. I think that you're an idiot to pick, to pick Roundich in this match, unless you're Canadian. Yeah, Roddick was actually asked about that today by a Canadian journalist, asking what his thoughts were on the Federer-Milos match and who was the favorite. And Roddick said, why would anyone ever make Milos the favorite? He's done, pretty much, he's done nothing to prove that he should be the favorite against Federer. Yeah. Which is totally fair. Absolutely fair. I mean, Roger's the favorite. If Roger doesn't win, it'll be a shock. But... I think that given the circumstances, it's a tremendous opportunity for Brownich. I do think that it, it's, um, it doesn't help Milos that it's being played at night. No, not at all. So that's, that could be really, a, you know, a, quite a significant difference there. But, um, but hey, I mean, if the kid can go out 6-4, six, 6-4, four, six, four, that's still a good showing for him. You know, or 7-6, or 7-6, seven, six, seven, six, or 7-5, seven, 7-5. Five, seven, five. Like, if he can keep it close, it's, it's still a statement loss to the extent that you can have statement losses. Absolutely. Speaking of tomorrow night, the later night match, are you ready to move to the ladies? I'm always ready to move to the ladies. Are right. you, Ben? I am. I'm very ready. This you sound so creepy, but okay. You're, you're setting me up to be creepy, so. No, that's just, that's, your, that's just your face. I love you, Ben. Oh, I love you too, Courtney. Okay. Thank you. All right. The ladies match later on that night is another one where someone will be very helpful to slow finish tonight, i.e. Carolyn Wozniacki playing against Anna Ivanovich. Correct. Slow helps Wozniacki. Slow does. Slow um, does. But let's, let's start again with the top half of the women's draw. Victoria Azarenka survived a real scare in her first match. Can we stop and talk about Mona Bartel for a little bit? Yes. Because I really want to make sure that people understand that she's going to be a thing. She I'm not is. saying she's going to win a slam, but she is a top 20 player. It's not top 10, if not. If not. I mean, like... What I loved about Bartel, and obviously Ben has heard this because I was mouthing it off the entire time when we were sitting there watching the match, is that of all the, I mean, we're obviously used to German players. I mean, they have a, a tremendous stable at this point with Pekovic, Gerges, Lissicki, uh, Kerber, who've all had great results. But what I love about Bartel and what I think separates her from those four is that her game is fluid. The other four their games are a bit mechanical, particularly Pekovic. Oh, yeah. But it's mechanical. It's a little bit forced. It's, um, you know, Gargas has that ridiculously extreme grip forehand that can go 
absolutely off the rails at any given second. Yep. Um, a big looping backhand. Lasicki has a huge forehand that can still go off. Her second serve is, is non-existent. She still has to go for it big, and she double faults quite a bit. Plus with no margin. Yeah, but, but you remember this, Ben. Like, um, he and I were sitting there at the, on the media balcony watching the, the Azarenka Bartel match. I think Ben asked, you know, what does Mona Bartel's game, who does Mona Bartel's game remind you of? Well, we're kind of sitting there talking about it a little a bit. Yeah, it took us a while. We were t- going back and forth, throwing out some names. And I finally, you know, I finally was like, well, I think it's actually Vika's. There's, there's a fluidity about it. There's um, an ease about it. There's, um, you know, good forehand, solid backhand, um, returns deep. Pretty good movement. Not the best movement, but pretty above it average feels like, movement. It feels aggressive without being low, without being high risk. Right. It never feels like she's going for broke. Yeah. Um, so, you know, she couldn't close out the match against Azarenka. Uh, the final match score was 6-4, 6-7, 4 in the tiebreak, 7-6, six, 6 in the tiebreak. But, um, I mean, I, I was following her when she won Hobart as a qualifier. Yeah. And was really impressed by just her demeanor. And she just kind of seemed like nothing really bothered her, which I guess. And then even with, for most of the time, for about 95% of the match against Azarenka, she played Really, really well. well. She started off way down. She was on 5-1 in the second and totally dug back and got Vika sort of off her game, really rattled her for the first time. Really arguably did. anybody's done in 2012. Well, it's the first set that she's dropped since the Australian Open semifinals. So. But, uh, but yeah, you, she was rattled. Uh, she was, you know, swiping her racket. She was yelling at her box. She was snapping at ball kids. So that was the first time that somebody had really pushed Azarenka out of her comfort zone since Kim... Um, so I just wanted to make sure that Mona Bartel got, got her due because got some love. it was, it was a great match towards the end. It was a bit more of a great match only because it was great entertainment. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't a good match towards the end. It was great. Like in the early third set was when the quality was really high Yeah, and the third set was pretty scratchy, but that kind of adds to the fun in some ways. Of course. I mean, the, so. the, that's the drama of the WTA. Can, Absolutely. can somebody close it out? Can somebody come back? So um, but Mona Bartel, she's a thing. Like, let, we need to accept it. We need to embrace it. I I think when I watch her play, I think she's better than Kerber. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, better than Gerges. So, to me, in my um, in my mind, she's the number three German. Um, and even Lissicky because of how... Power up rankings, be. which German is most likely to win a slam in 2012? I think Barbara. Okay, I think Ben might be weird right now. Which I'm, one, which German woman is more likely in 2012... Lissicky. Win a grand slam. Lissicky at Lissicky. Wimbledon? Yeah. Okay. We'll see. I'll, I'll take Lissicky at Wimbledon. You can take Mona at all the rest of three. Yeah. Well, that's fair. Yeah. If she doesn't draw Vika, I think it'll happen. There you go. She's <laughs> drawn, this is their third time drawing Vika this year. That's bad luck for her. Other people, other news in that quarter of the draw includes Jamie Hampton, who has really crushed people here quietly. She went out and beat, dropped one game against Polona Herzog and then really demolished 2010 and Indy Wells champion, Yelena Yankovic. And that was not really a close match from the start. At all. Jamie just hits the crap out of the ball. And it's was now... hitting it deep, was painting the lines. I mean, uh, you know, Hampton was asked in her press conference whether or not she was zoning or whether or not she felt like she was playing within herself. She said that she felt she was playing within herself against Yankovic. From what I've seen of Hampton in the past, it just looked like she was zoning. No. So, because I've just... You know, when you see a player who's that low ranked, and I don't know what Hampton is. 99. Okay. So she's top 100, but 99. You see somebody like that, painting lines with pace, serving well, moving relatively well, really attacking the net, 
against Yankovic, that's zoning to me. I mean, you know, and it, and if she if that is what she's used to, then bless if she can carry that forward, she she'll be top thirty, you know, within the next eight months. But um, I don't I don't necessarily buy into it. But I thought that her win over Gaida Sobo was quite good. But but you were there. For I was most there, of the match, I was there so. for a lot of that match, and it was it was a um, rough end to the match because there was a heckler at two all in the third. Who there was a string of pretty horrible points, honestly, both of them, both making a lot of quick, bad errors in, in rallies. And this guy shouted out, um, doesn't anybody want to win this match or something? And uh, he was near Yarka, and Yarka sort of glared at him, and Yarka lost four straight games from there, and it was over. Yep. And so that's unfortunate. It was, and as, as Ben and I were walking out of the grounds, I mean, look, like, I love the, I love Indian Wells. I love the, I love the crowd. I, I like how interested and how vested they get into these yeah. matches, but let's not run away from it. There is whether or not you want to believe it, whether or not you dismiss it. There is kind of a history of, of the crowd getting pretty rough on the players. Yeah. Um, maybe a sense of entitlement with the crowd, maybe it's, a little it's, bit. It's not, these are not what I would call down to earth people at Indian Wells. I think it's probably fair to say. I mean, it is a country club atmosphere here. Yes, and, and that's this is, not... This is, this is a resort in the middle of nowhere. You have to sort of take your helicopter to get here. Right, and that's not to say at the same time it's not binary. It's not like they're country club and nothing else. I right. mean, it's a very... It's, it is a multi... Despite what you read on the Twitter, <laughs> it, is a, <clears throat> it is a multicultural environment. I mean, there are a lot of, you know, people from different... Um, California is pretty ethnic. Exactly, but on the whole... It's a resort town. This is, and it's tennis. I mean, and it's hard to get to. It's not like there's really that much people, many people living in Palm Springs or Indian Wells. We're just like the city coming out to the tournament. Like you don't like at the US Open, you get a lot of New Yorkers showing up who live in New York. Here, it's a really it's a destination tournament, right. almost like nothing else on the tour. Right. So you get people who can afford to schlep out to sure. Indian Wells and pay for one of these very expensive hotels here. Yes, but but spe- but speaking of New York. Um, we were walking out, and Hampton's match ended relatively late. Last like, match of the day. Yeah, last match of the day ended, like, maybe past 11, I think. Yeah. Uh, ben and I were walking out, and there were two fans who we overheard basically saying, complaining about the crowd uh, for the Hampton match, which, which wasn't huge. I mean, it was relatively sparse crowd, but they were very loud. Um, but they were saying, like, you know, like, you know, they were kind of rude and, and rambunctious. And this woman was appalled. Yeah, she was appalled. She was, she was like, it was as though I was in New. It was at the U.S. Open, you know, yeah. and it was, yeah, you know. So there happens. was that. Jamie Hampton got to experience that. She gets Aga next, which is a tough match for her. Yes. Um, but on the other side of the top half of the draw, another Petra, what the heck? <laughs> Petra Kvitova has. Lost to Christina McHale what? in three sets. What? After the first set in what? which Petra Kvitova lost only one point on her serve, and that was a double fall. What? Petra said that her legs went out or something, and therefore she couldn't serve. She didn't break 100 on her serve like the rest of the match. What? And she lost to Jamie Hampton as... What? No, sorry. All the, all the arfing has gotten me off my game here, Courtney. <laughs> sorry. Petra lost to Christina, Christina McHale, McHale of New Jersey. Teaneck, New Jersey. What yeah. up, Snooky? Yes. And, uh, yeah, so Christina McHale won the match and gave a trademark press conference afterwards. <laughs> and, yeah, it was it was something to see. And the crowd really got behind her. And Petra is out. Well, let me ask you this, Ben. Um, what was your biggest, your single takeaway from that match? My single? Single, like, take- biggest, like, you're like, okay, this was the biggest thing that I took away from that match. 
my takeaway was that Christina McHale can be a lot of different kinds of players, and those players aren't on the top of their game. That's a great takeaway. I mean, because I had previously seen Christina McHale beat Wozniacki in Cincinnati when Wozniacki was not playing very well and was in a phase where she was trying to be more aggressive in that match was making a bunch of errors. It was very atypical Wozniacki tennis. And Petra, similarly, was just a step a step or two slow, uh, didn't have the same pace on her ground strokes or her serves. And McHale beat her fairly handily when she got a hand in the match. 6-2, 6-3 in the final two sets. Yeah, I mean, my, my, my biggest takeaway, I mean what I was impressed by. And um, I think that this speaks volumes about Christina McHale because when a number two, and not just a number, no, number two, number three, but when somebody like Kvitova loses, typically the story is Petra. Yeah. Right. Like, it, it, you know, especially this early in the tournament, you're kind of like, oh, well, she must have really gone on a, a very stereotypical Petra Kvitova walkabout. Where right. she And she did. Let's, let's, let's not ignore that fact. But, the difference between what would impress me with Mikhail is, uh, and I tweeted this before, is that Kvitova went down on the canvas and Mikhail did not let her get up. Absolutely true. And that was the biggest thing because in the third set, uh, I think uh, um, Mikhail built a 4-2 lead. 4-1. 4-1 lead. And Petra brought it back to 4-3. Yeah. And which is, was about the time. And you're like, okay, this ride is over. And I was a little, I think that I may have actually turned to Ben after Kavitova held in the first game of the third set and, and we were waiting to get into the court. I was like, oh, Petra's fine. Yeah. Like, she'll be okay. Like, she's yeah. now righted the ship. She'll be fine. But when she went down 4-2, I still wasn't worried. But when Mikhail, or when, and she started to build her way back, but when Mikhail kind of Stepped up toe to toe, and, and she just, was counter punching really well. She, she was, was using her speed, Petra's pace against her mm-hmm. sound angles. She exploited Petra's lack of speed. Like we said, it was not committed of his best effort by a long stretch. But I, I but, really feel but, the story was Mikhail. It was Mikhail, and part of that has to do with just being an American tournament. An American no, but I, I, I will say that, like, um, as one who honestly doesn't really look to sure. The, um, you know, you're not pump. big into pro America. Yeah, you're not, not pro America. You're not cheerleading for your players. Not like at all. A bunch of other countries' media. And and I and I and I like a bit of it. I mean, in my mind, still, she's the number one. If you take Serena out of it, and maybe that's wrong on many levels. It's but hard to put her ahead of Vika at this point. I think. In my mind, I still think that, like, okay. if, you know, if, if you know, because to me, like, I always evaluate the the question as this: if I had a player who I wanted to put money on to play for my life. Yeah. Well, not money on, just to play for my life, because at that point, money don't matter. <laughs> um, but to play for my life. I mean, I, I, I've i always said that Sharapova has always been my number one over Serena when you go one-to-one. Mm. Um, my argument has always been that because I know at least Sharapova doesn't care that she's playing for my life, she just wants to win the match. Yeah. And whether or not that's on center court at Wimbledon or it's in a backyard you know, grass court, she will play it as though it's the center court. And so yeah. I, and where Serena, I'm not entirely sure she cares whether or not I live or die. Yeah. So like <laughs> she might just, she just might not show up. That's so, fair. you know, so that's, that's always been my argument for Maria, but between Vika and Kvitova, uh, the argument has always just been, I just think Kvitova has a bigger game. Bigger. Absolutely. True. And you know, I mean, Azarenka has a consistency, but you know, if I had to go down and have somebody lose a match, I would take Kvitova. Mikhail gets next gets, Angelique Kerber, which very surprisingly to me is on Stadium 3 tomorrow. I'm surprised after what she did that Mikhail gets put well, on 3. Well, it was it's shocking a, it's enough. A lineup. It was shocking enough that yeah. Kvitova and Mikhail was on Stadium 2. That was bad. When at the same time, uh, 
Joe Wilfried Sanga and Lodra were on court Which, Stadium One. Again, I love Joe Wilfried Sanga, but you have an American going up against a, a grand champion. a Grand Slam champion, number three in the world. Both of those objectively, and on that day, there were four ATP matches on center court and two WTA matches. Correct. And the other days it has been even. I mean, it's not like this has no, not been this has a not Wimbledon been a, type trend where yeah, every this, day there's no more I, I, I would definitely agree with that. It's, it's not a trend, but it was disappointing that that, that happened. I mean, and, but at the same time, maybe that helped Mikhail. Maybe, maybe you take the pressure off. I mean, I think uh, Sloane Stevens at the U.S. Open kind of never didn't really want to play Ash until yeah. she earned it. So, yeah, so speaking of Sloane, Sloane was uh, Herbert's previous scout in this tournament because actually in her third round she got a walk over from one of our. Zombies, Vanya King. But before that, she beat. Did Sloane I tell Stevens. you that I saw Vanya King at dinner last night? Oh, really? So Vanya King withdrew. Yeah. And uh, last night I had a dinner meeting, so I went to dinner and walked in, and Vanya walked in for dinner, and that made me really nervous. That does make you nervous. Yeah, a little bit. The whole the whole thing. I actually tweeted um, the state pageant scene from Drop Dead Gorgeous. Nice. Where there are all the beauty queens are throwing up over the balconies and it's just sudden outbreak. And that's sort of more what it feels like to me than like contagion or something where it's really fatal. Just like sudden, sporadic, everyone gets sick all at once and it's gross. Then it all pass. Like the bridesmaid scene? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Maybe mm-hmm. not that exact synchronized you're watching I don't ladies. Know. I'm but, still, I'm know. still on a little bit of a, like I think Doug Robson who writes for the USA Today made a great crack about how, you know, he was like, oh, get my ET suit on. And once he mentioned that, all I could think was like Indian Wells turning into that last scene of ET where there were like those hazmat tunnels, you know, yeah. that were like through it with like kind of alienish looking people in hazmat suits. It's a little worrisome. I mean, we have we do have Purell like the, des- on the-, the desert is a great horror movie setting. It, it is. really, especially this like idyllic resort community. Yeah, with all these little pueblos. So basically, what Ben and I are saying is that if this is the last message that you re- hear from us, it's been real, y'all. It's been real, y'all. It's been fun. I hope yeah. you enjoyed it. I hope our voices our voices have soothed you, and will soothe you through the apocalypse that's about to come. Yeah, and we're happy much. that we went out early. And. Sloan Stevens also went out early after being up 6-2-5-1 and didn't close it out. That was disappointing. It um, was a day of failures to close. Yeah. Sloan failed to close that day. Um, uh, obviously, Bar- Mona Barthel uh, failed to close that day. Vanya was broken serving for the Va- match. Va- Vanya, Vanya did. She eventually well. won, but she was broken serving for the match. It's a thing. Yeah, it is a thing. Um, also in that section, Lena is now the highest seed in that, in that quarter. She played a surprisingly easy match against Zhang Jie, which I saw, which was actually really, a, really non-eventful. I yeah. thought it'd be cool, but it wasn't that cool a match, honestly. The only thing that was cool about it, because um, I, I went to the match, is you could tell how much the win meant to Lina. Yeah, she'd never beaten her before. She had never beaten her. She was 0-4 against Zhang Jie. Well, they and, turned into one of our punch bags. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And... Uh, and uh, Li Na was really, really intense. I mean, she obviously, she just was really taking it seriously, really pumping herself up, getting really picked, you know, pissed at herself for missing easy errors. So, Which is cool because she hasn't been a player, honestly, who's brought her best tennis outside the slams. Yeah. So it was cool to see that sort of desire from Li Na at a tournament that and is she, a big tournament, but it's not a slam. And, she, and Li Na has a pretty good, a pretty good shot at the semifinals. She's... Um, uh, through to Clara Zakapalova after that's a, um, that's a after uh, Zvonareva withdrew, um, and then after that she would, if she won that match, she would get the winner of Mikhail Kerber. 
you gotta like you gotta likely not for the semi. Yes. Which would be great for her. It'd be really great. We need Le- I'm sorry. Like, in our lost episode, by the way, I picked Lena to make the semis. In our That's lost episode, I'm not even gonna bother to tell you who I picked <laughs> because it's freaking embarrassing. You picked you picked Kudova, right? For that quarter. Well, what happened was Ben went first and then we both basically made really contrarian You made no, I went first, then you went contrarian. Yes, because you can't be contrarian going first. No, 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 that's right. And then I went really, really contrarian. And then I realized that I had to write my preview picks for SI. And once I actually sat down with the draw and analyzed it like a normal human being who has a job doing that would yeah. do, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I can't uh, throw out who I threw out. So, but, yeah. But I, I like Lee Nan to the semis. Um, I would love to see her play Azarenka. I would love it. Oh, yeah. Even though I don't have Azarenka in the finals, no, because I have I have uh, Redvanska beating Azarenka. There you go. But. Uh, bottom half, Marion Bartoli had a, a nice comeback win over Garvalopchenko, which we don't need to talk about really. Um, and now I guess Lucy is remaining from that section. Yes, after a walkover. After a walkover, then there's that big Wozniacki Ivanovich match we hinted at earlier. Uh, Courtney, what do you think will happen in Wozniacki Ivanovich? My gut tells me. And granted, there's a stomach flu going around, so my gut, could, my gut could be wrong. My gut could... You could have something funky in your gut. I don't want to talk. I don't even want to even tempt fate that mm-hmm. that's going to happen and ruin my tournament. But uh, my gut tells me that, that Wozniacki will be will come out of the... She had a three-set win over Arvidsson tonight, which was actually pretty tough. Arvidsson, Arvidsson played, played really, really well. well, really tough. Memphis Mini really, you know, brought it. But I think that, that um, you know... I. You know, Ivanovich struggled quite a bit today against Pervac, who is great. I mean, this was the first really prolonged look that I got at, at Sesnia Pervac, and she was solid. I mean, she's not a, a top 20 player, but she's one that I would tag as being, like, early round at big tournaments. Like, that kid's going to upset somebody. She's going to pull off some Dangerous big, floater. Dangerous floater. Um, just really solid from both sides. Lefty, um, a bit of a weak serve, but 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 surprisingly, almost like a Kerber. Like, surprisingly good movement. People who have weak serves and get to this level know how to Depend them. Yeah, exactly. Menchiva, obviously, the most famous of those, builds the game around being like, I'm going to, almost like a change-up to mm-hmm. start the rally, and then it'll immediately hit you. Yeah, exactly right. So. Not unlike Wozniacki, really. I mean, uh, Caroline's a little bit better, but... Um, so I, I would pick Wozniacki in that in, in straight sets. I, I don't think that it will be a particularly competitive match. Um, that said, I like what I'm seeing from Ivanovich lately. I mean, I think that her form has normalized a little bit. I think that she's, you know, she hasn't obviously recaptured her form from, from the French Open and, and her years from 2006 to 2008. But I, I just like the positivity that I'm seeing from her. She's no longer particularly negative. She's hitting the forehand really well. Yeah. Her movement today is what impressed me the most. most. She was going sideline to sideline. Like it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a problem. So that that was quite good. So she's making progress. So I think that you know we'll see where Ivanovich is in about three months. She she could she could have a serious run at the French if she plays the clay well. Yeah. But right now, where their careers are at, I, I, I pick Watson. It's, it's definitely the safe pick. Yeah. Uh, the bottom, the rest of the bottom half of the draw is actually pretty sparse. Sam Sosa went out today in a very tight match. Nani Petrova. Um, oh Sam. Oh Sam. Do you, do, you have, do you have more to say about that match? Or I think, basically, I mean, those two played tight matches. This is one of them. In the end, Sam hit a crazy second serve in the third set tiebreak that pretty much did not land. I think that it landed in the planners. 
Like the yeah. flowers on the side of the court. I mean, she shanked it clearly the glare of the sun, but... I tweeted um, that I really wanted her to Hawkeye it just to see what the trajectory would look like on the ball yeah. when it got taken off because... I, it was I, impressive. It was impressive. It was I've impressive. never seen a serve not land on the court, but not like be like a frame at the top of the frame and go up. Mm-hmm. This is one that went all the way past the far baseline. I was impressed. Which, was which impressed. is more embarrassing? Stozer's framed second serve today. Okay. Or... Caroline Wozniacki's second serve that bounced before, if I remember the video correctly, at the Australian Open this year. Before against, her service line. Against Yelena Yankovic, bounced before the service line. That was, I was there in person for that one, too. That was funny. <laughs> uh, but I think the more embarrassing one is the Sam one, just because it's so unprecedented. Like, it's not a timing issue. Maybe it is. But it hit the ball so hard and just have it not land. It was, it was a Tadish Feely serve, if you will. Making the back wall work for its mind. I completely disagree. Okay, that's fair. No, because I, to me it was glare. She just didn't see it. She couldn't see it from that. She's wearing sunglasses. She shouldn't have glare. Issues. What do you think sunglasses do? They're not like they I don't, don't know. I don't wear them. You're, yeah, you don't. It's weird. Is Especially, it weird? yes. It, out here, you're going to die in Miami. <laughs> um, it was nice to know you. I had. appreciate your confidence. Yeah, no, I have none. Um, just like Vika. Confidence don't mean. Crap. Let's go off on that while we're, while we're sticking to the ladies. Um, Victoria Azarenka, had, you asked Victoria Azarenka uh, in her presser about some comments she made earlier about confidence, which I think maybe we mentioned on the podcast earlier. Sure. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so, so Azarenka has made comments in the past where, uh, not in the past, but in the last couple of weeks, where she's, she says that confidence is overrated, she doesn't believe in it, um, and really dismissed the concept, which I found to be quite interesting, in her win after uh, she destroyed... Um, Kuznetsova, uh, we were talking about, uh, she mentioned kind of confidence, and, and I followed up on it. And basically my takeaway is that this is an issue of semantics. Yeah. What she says is not confidence, and what she says is the thing that she believes in that is, to her, not the definition of confidence, is basically confidence. It's belief. She says she wants to She says belief. it's belief, that, it, that it's not about confidence. What is confidence? It's an amorphous concept that doesn't mean anything i'm throwing in the amorphous word she didn't say that yeah but what matters is the amount of work that you put in off the court that when you do that 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 things happen well for you now again when somebody dismisses confidence and they're 19 and 0 now something like at least i kind of roll my eyes a little bit um because she clearly walks around like she's got swagger and all that yeah. sort of stuff. Like, Earned as, swagger. As I mean, she she's should. number one, undefeated. As she should. She, you can walk around like you own the place because you kind of do. You kind of do. Nobody, nobody's been able to take that from you. But, uh, you know, uh, somebody asked Ivanovich about uh, this concept of, 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 of Vika um, not believing in confidence. And uh, Ivanovich was like, yeah, no, I believe in confidence. Yeah. You know, and, and let's, like... And before anybody would be like, yeah, but she sucks now. Let's just remember. Ivanovich and Azarenka have the same resume at this point. Yeah. They both have a slam. They both are slash were number one. Yeah. So. Ivanovich was number one, I believe, for longer than Vika has been so far. Absolutely. Yeah. No, she was number one. For a few months. From the French Open through the, uh, into the U.S. Yeah. And not out of the U.S., but yeah. Yeah. So pretty much. An authority we can talk about, or someone you know. Although at the same time, you did ask her that question that she dismissed today. What was that? Uh, ben asked her about you know, have you talked to Caroline about being number one and what it feels like to like then fall from number one, and what it and how you deal with that. Right. 
And her answer was, I liked her answer. I loved her answer. She giggled and then said, she said pretty much, I think someone should give me advice on what to do after you're number one, because I'm not one to give advice. Right. She was basically like, I'm not the one to answer. I I haven't, you know, and, uh, you know, you have to like that about Ivanovich is that she's, she's, and I know that people think that like, I'm just like big on her, but, but she's, she's honest and she's self self deprecating and, and she never says anything really where you kind of look at her and go, really? She, she, you get, there's a sincerity about her that's, that's definitely hard to argue. She's still a head case and she's still working through it. But, you know, you got to give credit to somebody like that who's like basically a multimillionaire, has a hot boyfriend, and is still trying to win tennis matches. <laughs> like, it's, on some level, you, I, at least for me, I just kind of wanted to be like, just pull the plug. You got yourself a nice life lined out for I kind of wish that Rory McElroy and Adam Scott would both be there tomorrow. We have like a split screen of them between points, like how they react. That'd be cool. Adam just sits there. That's that. Roy doesn't do much. That's true, too. So we are now going to our famed pick a number segment. What we do here is we pull up a random number generator, and we pick a number between 1 and 100, and then we talk about the player, man and woman, ATP and WTA rankings, who corresponds to that number. And we haven't yet gotten a number under 50 in our previous three or four tries in our lost episode. The, one of the reasons we're kind of glad we lost this episode is that we got, I want to say, number 63? Somewhere in the 60s. Let me double check what number this was. 68. 68, which corresponded to uh, Tamea Babos and Tito Sirace, and we had very little to say about them. So we're hoping for the number guys to be nice to us, give us a nice, medium-low number. And... The other component to this, obviously, is that the men that we have talked about have done very well. I actually got to see one of our number men. I saw Nicholas Mahout play a match here today. He made the second round, which is good for him because he wasn't originally even on the acceptance list to get into the main draw. You're welcome, Nicholas Mahout. You are very welcome to a clemency. That's not really how you say it. That's awkward. That was not great. You are very thank you. Um, I said in French, you are very thank you. Yeah, that's... That's, that's wrong. I'm Vietnamese, and so I'm not really allowed to speak French <laughs> in my family, so... That's fair. It's weird. That's fair. You ready to pick a new number? Let's pick a some, number. Let's make some magic happen. Oh, sure. One to a hundred. Our number is... 46. We break the 50. Barely top 50. And we oh, God. get... On the women's side... Irina Camelia Begu of Romania. And on the men's side, we get... Who knew Begu was in the top 50? May I add that? Andreas Seffi. So, (laughs) again, we get an Eastern European we don't really know and some random Italian guy. Just like last time. The numbers... If you could see my face right now. I can see your face right now. And it looks like you're disappointed with these people. But we'll make the most of them. We will do our best. Was Seppi? Did Seppi go down with the bug? Yeah, he did. He did. Seppi is one of our um, sickly people. And Begu um, played here. <laughs> she is a WTA player. She actually, I, I had a plan for this. If we got one of these Romanians I don't know anything about, we talk about how there are so many Romanians these days. There are a lot of Romanians. There are so many Romanians. Surprisingly, I mean, Halep went out tonight, but uh, to, to, uh, to, to Sharapova. 
Let's um, look at the Romanians. Nicolescu, number one, or I don't know. Nicolescu's number one. Cristea's number. I think I think that Bega might be ahead of Cristea at this point. Let's find out. Dun, 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 pulling up the Romania. Um, that's something more like a Romania Eurovision song, which I can definitely get behind. Um, she lost to Maria Kirilenko today, Begu. Okay. So the other day. The other day. We're basically getting signals from some, someone nearby. Who our can't, producer. Our producer. Our producer can't stand the fact that we're so wrong on the Mar- facts okay. that we're so, spewing. So Marina that he Camellia. or she is just throwing pictures at us. That's fair. Marina Camelia Begu lost in the second round after beating Lucy Hradechka in the first round. So again, not a match many people watched. And Begu, and I say that as a huge Hradechka Lavashko fan, may I attest. You don't even know. He, like, I'm not even joking. The guy will talk your ear off about Hradechka Lavashkova. They're a great team. They're a great team. They won the French. Defending their title pretty soon. Pretty psyched for it. Anyway, Begu has had some pretty good results. I want to say she did really well in Marbella last year. I'm remembering, kind of. Um, let's pull up her history. Anyway, Romanians right now have seven players in the top 100. That's which ridiculous. Is like, if you that really stop and look at that. I mean, America doesn't have seven in the top 100. They might barely. They have eight now. But they have a lot more in the bottom part of the top 100. I'll pull it up. We can figure this out very quickly. America. Anyway, the ones, the Romanians in the top 100 are Nicolescu is the number one, Begu, number two, Kirstea, number three, Halep, number four, Dolgaru, number five, Kadantiu, number six, and Galovitz, number seven. That's a solid lineup. Not a solid lineup, but it's a lot of people in the top 100. So I don't know what they're doing that makes them so good. They really haven't been anywhere for the previous while. The Americans have more than that. They have eight in the top 100, but just barely, including numbers 99 and 100. Do you want to compare populations to really nail this home? I think that America has more people than Romania. Yeah. But not by that much. I think Romania has a population of about... I'm sorry, did you just say not by that much? Well, I was going to say, it's not like Romania is like Liechtenstein. It's a sizable country. It's bigger than Serbia. Sure. So, I mean, it's not ridiculous they have players. Um, Also, uh, apparently, according to our producer... Uh, Begu is also still in dubs. Really? She, he or she writes on paintbrush. Who? who? <laughs> that is tremendous. That is awesome. We will get it. We'll take that picture and make it the icon for this show. That is that is great. Um, Begu is still in doubles with who? We don't know, but she's there. And we're pretty excited She's for her. Pretty, are we? We're excited that she, we need to talk. Let's talk about Begu. Look her, yeah, let's do the profile. Let's do the profile. Arena Camille. Because you're a top 50, and honestly, we should know something about it. We're basically, Ben and I are laughing because we're a little embarrassed right now. And ourselves. There's someone in the top 50 that neither you or I really know the whole thing about. See, her pictures come up. I've never seen you before. Have you seen this person before? If I saw her walking the grounds, I'd be like, that's not a player. I think I would have thought that she was Boyana Jovanovsky. Yeah, she does look like Jovanovsky a little, a little bit. bit. She's 5'11". She is 21 years old. That's what she looks like. She is right-handed. She plays with a Babalot racket. She has once worn a black and white dress, according and, to the and, visuals we're getting here. And, and, and our producer tells us, hold on, she played at night. Yes, this is a <laughs> night match. So we're getting a lot, a lot of good stuff on Begu here. Um, activity on Begu this year. Mm, 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 mm. Begu 
It would be really awesome if our producer got us in and out right now. Yeah. <laughs> Begum into semis of Acapulco and uh, beat some people below her, lost to Flavia above her, lost to Carla Suarez Navarro, our previous number person, Aww. in the first round of Australian Open. I watched some of Carla practicing after we talked about her on the number stuff. That was kind of cool. Carla's a fun person to watch practice. She was practicing with, um, not Begu, somebody else. Okay. That's yeah. a, that's a really good tidbit that narrows you it down. Point, narrows you know. it down. She Begu, 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 last year. Let's see what she did. She didn't qualify for the Australian Open. Played some challengers. She started last year ranked 198. Okay. So for her to come into top 50 already, props to you, Begu. Good okay. on you, Begu. Okay, so yes, so, she made the final of Marbella as a qualifier and lost to and, and lost to Vika in the final, but she beat Kuznetsova in the semi. That's pretty solid. Can I ask you a question, Ben? Go for it. You've watched a lot of tennis. I have. And he and well, and you're a fan of a lot of people who no one has heard of. That's absolutely true. And a fan of a lot. I don't mean fan, but just you track. Yep. Players that that maybe. Most people probably ignore. That's absolutely true. Have you ever seen Begu play a match? Never once. I think I did see a bit of her in that doubles that our producer was telling her she was in. Yeah. Because I think she has a more popular partner she's with. Um, Does our producer know who that partner is? We'll get get back to you on that. Our producer's working on it. But... We have a crack staff here. You don't even understand. You don't understand the high-tech operation we have going on It's amazing. But Begu... Has done big things. She made the final of a tour, another tour event in Budapest last summer. It was a very small clay court tournament after Wimbledon that my favorite son to do really well in. And yeah, good on, good on Begu. Good on Begu. You want to move on to Andrea Seppi? Okay, I want to know who she's playing doubles with here because she's still in the draw, I believe. Yeah. And it is, our producer Begu says... Begu is playing with Maria Jose Sanchez Martinez. Who withdrew? Martina Sanchez, who actually withdrew. They lost today. Okay. That's why, that's why their name <laughs> reminds me. She is not still in doubles producer. Martina Sanchez went down with a thigh injury today. And everyone thought when she retired that she had the, the Indian Wells plague. But it turned out she just had a thigh injury. So Begu picked Martina Sanchez. So basically... Basically, we need a new producer. So basically, yes, because it took our producer about 15 minutes to find the order of play and then pointed to us very excitedly that she was still in the draw with Martina Jose Martina Sanchez. Maria Jose Martina Sanchez, MGMT. And then we had to remind our producer that actually they withdrew. Yeah. So that's That's Marina Camelia Begu. We, we salute you. We salute you. We don't know you very well. As being number 53. Well, she's actually been up as high as, she's been in the top 40 before. This is not her career high ranking. Love it. That's yes. great. So moving on to the men's. The men. Andrea Seppi. Andrea Seppi um, played in the first round here against Marty, in his first round, sorry, in the second round against Marty Fish, um, and then retired with the injury, with the, sorry, with the illness bug thing people get. Can I just say... Yeah. I like Andrea Seppi. What's not to like? I don't, I mean, he, you know, he's a good journeyman guy. Yeah. Um, solid game. Give sense he works really hard. He works really hard, and he, I mean, who are the other Italian men? Fabio Fognini? Yeah. Andrea Seppi is the anti-Fabio. Yeah. 
Like, yeah. if I wouldn't know, I, I for the longest time, I thought he was German. Interesting. Because of the Andreas. That's fair. But, yeah, I, I, nothing about him screams Italian to me. That's fair. Seppi's a little Italian, sign of the last name, I guess. But Seppi um, went, I think, has come back from a really low ranking recently. Um, I will find out evidence on that. Seppi, um, yeah, he, so in the first round here, he beat Olivier Rokas in three sets, and then he retired midway through the second set against Marty Fish with the illness. And Seppi has been in the top 100 for a while. Now, look at these rankings from scrolling back. He just is middle of the top 100. Consistently. Solidly. He, he's between 30 and 70, just about always. And that's mm-hmm. something to be respected about that. I mean... It's just a guy think, who goes out and makes a living. Yeah, it's unremarkable. You see him, you're like, oh, okay. When you see him play, someone who's really good, he will, you know, do fine. He won't get, he doesn't get blown out. But when, you know, oh, some tight sets here, a little harder than Djokovic expected to do against Andrea Seppi, that's the kind of match you get against Andrea And I, I, what do you, I mean, I think this is something that is, especially, particularly with the ATP, maybe less so with the WTA for different reasons, but... Um, the whole concept, I mean, the, the, you know, the term is thrown around quite a bit, the whole concept of a journeyman. Yeah. And what does that mean? And, uh, you know, like a lot of us, um, as, as people who follow the sport, who watch a lot of you, who kind of become attached, you know, emotionally to players and, and doing well and not doing well. I mean, I think that, that there does need to be a little bit of kind of an understanding of concept. Yeah. So, like, when your top, your favorite player who's, like, outranked outside of the top 30, let's say, mm-hmm. between 30 and 60, who, you know, is never going to win anything major, yeah. but still just kind of plods along. Like, when you stop and take a step back and you look at that, it's kind of a remarkable thing to do. Oh, yeah. To go through 10 years of basically traveling the world every week. Winning two matches and losing and losing and going on to two the matches next, at best at best yeah. losing and going on to the next tournament like the amount of stop and the think about that with all that yeah that's, that, that's that's pretty incredible it takes it takes a lot of strength Andreas Seppi has never won an ATP title sorry that's a lie Andreas Seppi has won one ATP title he won it in in uh, Eastbourne last fall last uh, yes he did I was there 2011 you were there. What do you remember about that? I didn't watch the match. There you go. He actually, what's notable about this match to me, <laughs> how brutal is this? The guy's one ATP title comes. He's up 5-3 in the third. Nico Tosarvich retires on him. Yeah. He doesn't get a championship point. He's one game away. Well. That's brutal. Can I tell you about the Eastbourne final? Please or the do. Eastbourne tournament? It was really windy. Well, sure. But uh, it was Bartoli. And Fidova. Kvitova in the final. Mm-hmm. On center court. Men's final, if I recall, was played on an outer court. Really? I could be totally wrong on this, but that's what I remember, is that they weren't... Because if it was played, I feel like I, I, I remember that the, I remember the women's semis and women's final play on the same day. Yeah. Yeah. There was a... Rain backed it up, and it was really, really horrible weather in Eastbourne, which still... I mean, I still love it as a tournament. I would go back there if I could. Um, but But what I recall was that... It was it was just such a weird tournament because it's a joint tournament, but the women take center stage, particularly last year because Serena and Venus made their yeah. return. So it was absolutely women's field always way better. Always than the men have only been there for since two thousand nine. Yeah, I mean hopefully that can build, but you know it's uh, but that's what I remember. Women are more likely to play the week before slam. So good part of it. Also true. So that just that's rough. Getting your first ATP and only ATP title without a championship point. 
five three in the third in Eastbourne. In Eastbourne, that's that's rough. That's and rough. I probably know the Italian restaurant that they celebrated that, which is quite good. I heard that. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you the uh, the name one day. So we didn't know a particularly whole lot about either Andrea Seppi or Arena Camellia Begu, but their luck will soon overflow if we hope. There or his? His, pretty much. Because the women have not been, not bounced particularly well. Other than Ursula Rodwanska's main draw wild card. Yeah, that was a nice, she owes us big. And she didn't back that up, but she lost first round. So she did the draw ceremony, though. She did, she did. And she was a good sport about that because that is not something I would ever want to do. You just stand up there with, like, holding a bowl for about 35 minutes. Yeah. So, Ben, uh, this is not your first time in Indian Wells. No, it's not. But first time as credential media. Yes. I've been here. Uh, this is my second time as credential media, but I've been here four times total. Mm-hmm. So, overall impressions? Overall impressions? It's so nice. It's just, like, it's, this is my impression the first time. It's so pretty here. I interviewed Sam Soster, and she says, like, it's like it's fake. Like, the mountains are so close and so, like, perfectly even and, you know, fading to the background. It looks like a painting, this whole place. And it's a very sort of idyllic setting for tennis. Uh, the weather has been great. There's no trace of rain ever. It gets a little bit chilly at night sometimes, but that's expected because it's March. And, yeah, and it's a desert. So I really have no complaints whatsoever about being here. Logistically, it's kind of hard to get around the city sometimes. It's not, obviously, we're not... It's a sprawl. We're not in an urban area, which is fine. Yeah. But other than that, that was just me searching for a complaint. I really don't have anything to complain Really? That's, there. like, the worst thing that you could say is that? Is that? I just think there's a lot of things this tournament does right. I mean, with the, with the Hawkeye on every court, with the good attention given to the women's tennis here, with the doubles, everything. It just, like, seems like a very... If I was making a tournament, there weren't a lot of things that could change from how this tournament is. I mean, I agree. I mean, I, I think that um, if I, you know, we luck out because, you know, as, as media, we get, like, parking passes. Yeah. So we get to park pretty close to the entrance and they get into a certain parking lot and, like, whatever, which is really helpful about getting onto and mm-hmm. off of site really quickly. But every time we come in, there's, like, the a long line, queue of cars. That's so the common folk. That's the common folk. But I'm trying to keep to my roots, and I'm okay. basically saying that the common folk get a little hosed, is all I'm saying. I can be completely uprooted. Yes. Uh, but no, I mean, I've, you know, anybody who has, has read the things that I've written about this tournament for years knows how I feel about it. I mean, I, I love it. I mean, um, to me, it's the best non-slam tournament. Yep. And if I were to rank every tournament against each other, including the slams, it's my number two. Behind? Wimbledon. Yeah. Like you know, it's not even a, it's not even a question. Uh, so it's 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 been a good tournament. I mean, even with all the upsets and everything, the fans are relatively knowledgeable. The practice courts are great. You get the practice field, um, you know, good access if you're media and stuff like that. But um, it's been and it's uh, you know be, what I like about it because I went to Miami last year. Yeah. So you know you kind of do if you do the double, which which you I understand you'll do this year. What I like about Indian Wells is. It's the first major tournament after a long, relatively long layoff for a lot of players, even if they play one or two warm-ups or, like, or uh, yeah. you know, tournaments after the Aussie. So it's kind of nice to see players set the table for the next three to four months. I mean, we are... After this, we, there's no real stop. No. Uh, up From this until the U.S. Open, it is a grind. Yeah. There is no way that there is not a top player playing any given week. If you're someone who's not an American skipping Monte Carlo, essentially. Yeah. You're not getting a break. Right. 
So, so this is kind of the kickoff. So I kind of actually like that. You know, it's a tournament that people come to. Haven't been to Cincinnati a lot. People don't go to Cincinnati to win Cincinnati. They go to Cincinnati to prepare for the U.S. Open. But this feels like a standalone event. Right. They are here to win Indian Wells, not to prep for the French right. Open or even prep for Miami. Really. Oh, that's right. Those are two. Both of those tournaments are standalone occasion tournaments, and that's kind of cool to see as a fan. Yep. Because in Cincinnati, not that not when you're watching a match, you never really got the sense like, oh wait, he's just trying to tank here to get to the U.S. Open. You very rarely get that sense, but you don't see. Except for the whole, you know, man, flesh-eating virus going around. You don't see too many injury pullouts. You see people really trying to dedicate themselves to this tournament. Yeah. So that's been cool. And the player access, like you mentioned, is very cool. I don't get as excited about the field as most people do. Like, seeing them play soccer doesn't do a ton for me, necessarily. How does the, how does the fact that the, that media and players share the same restaurant and eating I thought, area... I thought we get there. Yeah, that's been, that's been interesting. That's been... That's been um, been fine for the most part. I mean, I've only talked to like two players down there, and both of the times like they start conversations with me. What's um, what are what's like your favorite like kind of experience being? Because so basically at Indian Wells, there is for credential media and the players, there is a media cafe where mm-hmm. everybody gets their food, and then from there there's common basically the the media and players dine together. Yeah. So you can sit outside or whatever, but you're sitting next to Andy Murray. You're sitting yeah. next to Novak Djokovic. Um. So, Ben, uh, to the extent that you are comfortable sharing sure. a story, uh, what's kind of been your favorite run-in this summer, this uh, this week so far? Well, I've, I've, there's things I've seen and things I've actually like interacted with people. Things I've seen, I saw, I tweeted about this, I saw Rafael Nadal getting an enormous mountain of rice from the place that serves the rice and putting an unbelievable amount of olive oil on it from the salad bar. Just like pouring and pouring and pouring out of olive oil. It's all like 10 seconds or so. I guess he's Mediterranean, and that's what they do. They sure. make olive oil. People, you don't get that bronzed skin by not by eating not being olive oil. oily. That's yeah, fair. exactly. It comes yeah. out of its pores at this point, and it's so dry here. Yeah, it really is. So that's what's keeping you healthy. I mean, everyone has their own recipe for how to stay healthy. Rafael Nadal's recipe is olive oil, and he hasn't gone down yet. So all power to him. It's been interesting with Nadal too, because when I, I've seen him a couple times around the inside of the grounds in the building, he's been by himself. It's been very interesting. Djokovic, you don't see Djokovic by himself. Djokovic is always surrounded by entourage. Federer, maybe a little less so. But Nadal has been just on his own. Because his uncle isn't here at this tournament. And mm-hmm. the rest of his, he lets his staff go for the rest of the day and he hangs out on his own. It's been kind of cool to see for someone who's, you know, a 10-pound Grand Slam winner. So that's cool. been interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, other player interactions, I um, had Marcos by dad ask me what pesto was and had to try to explain that to him in terms, because not knowing... I thought I don't know. I was I had I knew a, I basically basing it on basil. Yep, sure. But besides that, I didn't know how to explain it that well. I don't think he'd know what pine nuts were. Sure. So, you know, that was kind of cool. And just being in line, people getting the pasta and seeing how they order and how they approach things and how they talk to other players. Seeing a conversation between what, two WTA players today, being like, "Oh, did you win today?" And the person was like, "No, I lost today." And then they're being like, "Oh." Awkward. I've learned that, I learned that very, very quickly in covering tennis. You do not ask players if they won. <laughs> I had a, a story. I'll tell you this story. At the Bronx Challenger, when I was there, I saw um, I had missed a few matches that were at the beginning of the day. And they weren't posted scores anywhere, so I didn't know. And I saw Lourdes Dominguez Lino walk into the credential tent or something. And I saw that she had played already, and her score wasn't posted. And I was like, oh, did you win today? 
and she gave me this look, and just like tears started to well up, and she was like, "No!" And she was about to cry, and I felt so bad because she had lost, just and don't there do and there was nothing else to do, and so I've never asked a player ever again if they won. That's fair. So it's just another happen. Good rule. Good rule. How about you, Courtney? What is, what is your time in the media cafeteria been like? So, as those who know me within the media center know. I actually hate the fact that the players and media dine together. A lot of, that has more to do with me than, than the system or anything like that. I think I think it's great. I mean, I think that that you learn you could you know sit at one of the outer tables and just observe for two or three hours the players interacting with each other with their entourages and learn a lot. I just would prefer to eat. A, I don't want to eat on the job. Yeah, I don't want to worry that I'm sitting there eating and somebody's seeing me. You know, I don't know. It's my own paranoia, and Ben makes fun of, uh, of me about it all the time. Sure. So typically when I go down there, I just have my head down. I get my turkey and provolone sandwich. I pay, and I leave. I, I take it into the stadium. I take it upstairs, I you know, back to the media center. So I actually really haven't observed uh, very much at all. Um, I very. I mean, I saw Lee Na sitting outside. Yeah. Um, and that's big entourage on her. Big entourage. I mean, she was meeting with people. Yeah. So, um, but uh, but yeah, that was that was kind of it. But uh, but in the past, I mean, there was definitely times where you know I sat next to Andy Murray, like eating my sandwich, um, you know, and, and been in line with like behind Kim and Jada last year, I think, um, when they were were checking out, and Jada was just running around, and Kim was trying to like keep her, you know, somewhat, you know, controlled, which was quite cute. I think everybody's seen uh, Gilles Simon and his son Timothy, who's here with uh, with uh, Gilles' uh, girlfriend, I guess, because I don't think they're married. His um, baby mama. Let's his say. baby mama, uh, but his 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 son is adorable. Just a huge. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing like, him when he hair. wore uh, amber glass here. Yeah, so it's all things like that. So so that's that that part's fun. I mean, but uh, uh, for myself, I kind of my general philosophy is that I prefer to give the players their space yeah. in those personal oh, yeah, moments. Too. I mean, I'm the same way. I'm not there. No, I'm not, I'm not criticizing no. you at all. Like, I, you know, because that, that space is there to be used. But, like, even, like, at slams and stuff or uh, other tournaments, like, if I see players, I'm generally inclined to just kind of walk away and know that they're, they're having a moment and they don't need me to hear it. And that is not, you know, some media would not be that way, which is, like, if it's in public, then they would you know, want to overhear and like whatever. And they get stories that way. And that's totally kosher. That's totally copacetic. That's just their way. I just personally don't feel comfortable with it. So I keep my distance, but that means that I don't break news and I don't really report anything <laughs> particularly interesting, but um, without, yeah. without, you know, overhearing stuff, there were things that being behind the scenes, like I saw Ricardo Sanchez here sure. and I hadn't known that he was with anybody. I don't right. anybody and then, and then, and then I asked, uh, Yankovic about it, and she said, oh, he's with Petrova now, right. which we would have found out a few days later, sure. I guess, but it was still interesting. You know, that's a little bit different. If you're walking the grounds, yeah. that's totally, but like, I just kind of feel like normally at most tournaments, these players eat separately from us, Yeah, so I'm kind, and, and then this tournament, they eat it combined, so I'm almost kind of like a bit deferential. I'm like, no, you're kind of used to like, do like not having me sit there and watch you eat a sandwich, um, you know, Francesca Schiavone, so I'm just going to take my sandwich, I'm just going to go upstairs because I don't... But again, I, I just want to emphasize, that's just my like, own take. I feel like Schiavone would be less of a sandwich person, more of the pasta bar. 
and I feel like it should be very no, amenable. No, do not. Do not. No, you're not. It's my great recipe. No, we're editing all this out. You know why? Because I'm going to talk over you. Sorry. No. No, no one will know my recipe. Yeah, thank God. You're no. lost, people. What? I don't even know. Final segment of the show. Put up for shut up time, Courtney. Mm. Predictions. Give me semis. Give me a winner. So if my memory serves me correctly... Uh, you have a draw in front of you also. I do. I do. Um, so for the men, I already did my preview on SI, so I'm kind of locked into it. I can't... It would be a bit disingenuous for me. You can me. change midstream. If, if you've seen things that you want to change, oh, that's this true. is your, your opportunity. That's that. fair. That's fair. Um, no, but I, I had Djokovic over Isner in the top half, which is still possible, so I'm not going to change that now. Um, and then in, I think in the bottom half, I had Del Potro losing to Nadal. Okay. So basically that, I mean, the upshot of that is that I don't think that Fed's going to make the semis. Interesting. So, um, which I didn't think at the time, but, uh, I don't think now. So I think it'll be Del Potro, Nadal in the final with Nadal winning. And I do pick Indian Wells as being the tournament where Rafael Nadal figures out Novak Djokovic and wins. Interesting. So that was, that was my men's pick. What's your men's pick? My men's pick for the semis. We got to put Djokovic there. I think there's no plausible person to beat him before the semis. Then I will put in John Isner, and I too will have Djokovic over Isner. For the bottom half, I will say Federer comes through, beating in the semi. He will take out uh, Nadal, and then Federer over Djokovic. I think hardcore is you know fifty fifty and. We'll see Slow how it hardcore? Goes. Slow hardcore, sure. When the US Open wasn't a very fast hardcore, it was, a, it was a medium hardcore mm-hmm. last year, and he had match points two years in a row. Law of averages, they're going to win one of those matches at some sure. point. Sure, no, I, I, don't, I don't disagree with that theory. Uh, I disagree with your logic, but. That's fine. Yep. Ladies. Ladies. So, um, my SI picks had Vika and uh, Kvitova in the semifinals. Obviously, that can't happen as Kvitova's out. Um, so I'm gonna, and, and given her form, I would say, um, oh no, I'm sorry. I had Azarenka losing before the semifinals. Um, I had Rodovanska and Kvitova. You're gonna stick with that? You no. can change whatever you want. No, I'm still gonna take, I'm gonna take Rodovanska and Lee in the top half with, if it's that matchup, I'll take Rodovanska. Okay. Which was what my pick was before into the finals. And then I had Wozniacki, I believe, and Sharapova. I had Sharapova women winning that semifinal. And I believe I had Sharapova as the champion. Over Ravaska? Yes. Sending her back to Poland? Yes. Or Miami, anyway. It's like, a, then, it's like a nine and one head-to-head. Yeah. Like, as much as everybody's like, oh, Maria's drawn because Radvanska's win over Maria at the U.S. Open years ago was... So infamous. So infamous. And so, I mean, it was Radvanska's coming out party. Yeah. But Maria hasn't lost to her since. There we go. So... Um, I will pick Azarenka to make the semis, where she will lose to Lina. Lina really impressed me against uh, Shantae. That was really cool. Um, and then I will take Bartoli to make the semis, sneaking through whoever comes out of Ivanovic. Slash Wozniacki. Bartoli will lose to Sharapova in that semifinal. And then a, semi- a final between Lina and Sharapova, I will give to Lena. Lena is the champion here. All right. Come back story, give her some momentum going to the French. But either way, both of us have Sharapova coming through. Is that a 
She didn't look great today, honestly. No, she didn't. So I'm saying, is that is that a result of her draw, or is it yeah, a result, it's a result of, of her draw? Her draw has really was a never that strong, and B has opened up. Yes. I mean, her her fourth round match was going to be Tabulkova Vinci. That's a gimme for her. And then Elisiki went out, Soster went out, even though she owns Soster. Petrova is not going to beat uh, Sharapova. Kirilenko, if she gets there, it could be tricky. But I don't think Kirilenko... She's not in form. No. So, we'll see. All right. We'll see. Could be fun. Could be fun. No, I mean, I'm looking... Personally, I'm looking forward to the rest of the week. I mean, I think that there are great matches, you know, for both the men and the women. And I think that there's... It's been a good balance of, like, a good number of big upsets in the first week. Perfect balance. And without having those upsets be ones that completely bust the bracket. To Australia, where, you didn't have upsets. Right. And so the first week and middle part of the tournament were honestly fairly boring. Yep. Australia, not much happened. No, it was you very and I complained about it. Yeah. yeah. We had, you had Sam Sosa going out first round, Serena in the fourth. But everything in between everything else and nothing was happened. total chalk. And the men especially, one through four, really never got tested the whole way to the semis. You're not getting that here. You already have Murray out, out. out, Fish out, Roddick out, kind of. JJ out. JJ out. <laughs> Is that a thing? Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's so... And it's, you it, have the X factor of, and they're all going to die from the virus. I which know. Which is just fun. It is. It, it's like the Hunger Games. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Which yeah. you haven't read, have you? I've read most of the first one. I'm still okay. getting through it. I read the first one on the plane. And by the way, we're going to stop at Barnes & Noble on Wayside tomorrow so I can buy two and three from my flight. Maybe you just need a Kindle. No. I like the books. I like paper. I work in print media, after all. Also, some of us are a little busy tomorrow. We're not going to stop at Barnes & Noble. Well, I already made an agreement with our producer, so... Our producer hasn't go. spoken to me, and I feel like I'm really the talent that drives this, so... Okay. Well, as your uh, lead host, I'm going to end this conversation right now. Thank you for joining us for episode four, which we now end at 4 a.m. It's been real, y'all. We'll see you next week. We'll, we'll actually have a show, and we'll get back to the questions, because we did all the questions in the Lost episode, and it got lost. So we'll see if we can sneak it in as an Easter egg at some point later on. But for now, we'll be back next week. Thanks for sitting through this. We love you all. Bye-bye.